0: Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast, coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer.
1: Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming back down from the outer reaches of space in the Blue Origin rocket, it's Aaron Alvarado. Aaron, how was the flight?
0: It was pretty good. Uh... I would just say next time uh, I'm leaving Be- Bezos at home. Jeff is <laughs> staying home.
1: You, as Other soon than you that, saw the cowboy I, hat, you were like, Jeff, Jeff.
0: What are we doing you, here, buddy? What are we
1: doing here? <laughs> the dude walked into that thing with cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. I, I just like, yeah. I,
0: uh, I mean, amazing. I'm pretty sure he he just watched Armageddon for the first time, and he's like, <laughs> I have an idea, folks. <laughs> I have an idea. And literally, oh, he thought Armageddon was a documentary. He's like, literally, anyone yeah. can go into space. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. He fully believes, by the way, that if there were this earth-shattering meteor that was headed here, that he w- is capable of saving the planet. That he yeah. believes that certainly on um, his own. Yeah, but I'm not sure if he's. At, I'm not with that 18-year-old Danish kid and Wally. I don't know. I don't know if that's the crew we're sending <laughs> up.
0: I'm not You're sure. Just, it's crazy to me, like how, how many things about Bezos and Amazon are, like they sound like sci-fi or they sound like tall tales, but no, they're real. Like sending a billionaire to space with an 18 year old boy, <laughs> Danish boy, it, that sounds like sci-fi, bad sci-fi.
1: Well, this is what's um, funny. You, you know why the boy got that spot? I mean, I can guess, but I no, don't know. <laughs> no, th- I don't know. Don't guess. This is <laughs> okay. a family friendly podcast. Um, no, so so there was a there was an auction. For that seat and this i mean uh, this is part of
0: what my guess would be the okay yeah part. of course yes
1: squeezing every dime out of yeah sure uh, <laughs> so there was an auction okay and the person purchased the seat for 28 million dollars and they remained anonymous okay we don't know the idea at some point they're gonna we have we'll find out who it is mm-hmm. but in the run up to this launch this morning uh like a week ago the person who bid the twenty-eight million said that they had a scheduling conflict, <laughs> and uh, he, he or she would just catch a future flight on uh, the next maybe blue origin rocket now i've got yep. some questions about the scheduling conflict because if you are um bidding <laughs> tens of millions of dollars mm-hmm. to go to space you check the calendar first don't you <laughs> you, you check with the wife you check with the mm-hmm. you got to make sure you know that there's not a pre-existing engagement you can't be like sweetheart i just spent 28 million dollars i'm going to outer space with the guy who owns amazon she's like sweetheart that's the wedding reception for the neighbors what are you doing he's like ow well, Dang it!
0: It's just Until slipped call- his mind. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I I did hear. This is what I heard. The person that was the anonymous bidder was the former president of Haiti. Who was oh assassinated? My gosh. So no. He was unfortunately he was. Um, he had a deposed. conflict with heaven. Oh my god. He did. <laughs> well, he had a, he had a um, an urgent meeting with a few no. Colombians. So they. <laughs> So, he wasn't able to make it on oh, to the wow. rocket. Oh, God!
1: What
0: if that were true? Oh, I um, mean,
1: who's to say it's not? It could be. Yeah. It could be until yeah. we know otherwise. Might as well be. Oh, that's yeah. terrible, but also funny. <laughs> Rest in peace. Rest in peace, President. Wow. he's um, not. He was
0: not a good, not a good gentleman. So. Yeah. I don't really.
1: I didn't know him personally, so I yeah, can't say yeah. one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well. So. Anyway, the the seat went to the uh, the next bidder, which was some hedge fund manager in the Netherlands, who gave it to his son, the eighteen year old, who became the youngest person to go to space. Mm. Uh, S- which space I, with space space. With well, they passed the Carmen la- line, which is the internationally recognized uh, distance. That's considered outer space. Unlike Richard Branson, this is what this is my favorite thing. I love these stories, and by love, I mean like in a in a very ironic way. Mm -hmm. um, That literally the Amazon Blue Origin Twitter account isn't isn't basically getting into beef with Virgin Galactic, uh, saying you know uh, you know because well first off just back up a little bit. Bezos announces he's going to be flying up in the first manned aircraft of Blue Origin, which is pretty surprising uh and then richard branson who was scheduled to go up in a virgin galactic uh flight later this year decides to move his up to two weeks before bezos right this is classic (laughs) billionaire um there's a term for this that i'm not going to use on the pod but you get what i'm saying we'll just say it's one upsmanship it's one upsmanship is what it is yes there's a lot of egos at play here yes and as soon as he makes his announcement which i just find funny i think it's funny that 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 it's it's hilarious and also like like Certainly, there's a level of recklessness when you're moving up launches months, you know, which is like you're just getting into the danger zone of like, is someone going to die because they moved it up before it was ready? You know, like that's we're getting to the point where that's that absolutely could have been on the table. But Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, Amazon's Twitter account went after uh, Virgin Galactic saying, oh, you know, good job. Have a successful flight, but you're not actually going to outer space. You don't get your astronaut wings. Um, But they do cross the uh the line that the United States and NASA considers outer space. And so you've got billionaires arguing over who went to outer space and who didn't. That's that's what the story is. Like I Aaron. mean
0: that is that is 2021 in a nutshell. And uh, they're arguing over Twitter, which is even p- more perfect. That's oh, perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh unfortunately we're stuck here on Earth and we're not in outer space. We are with not with the billionaires.
1: Do you have any appetite for space travel?
0: You know, it's so funny, man. I used to be, like, I was very much interested in space in astronomy, and astronomy. And, uh I mean, just like any kid, I was fascinated by just the thought of travel into outer space and, sure. you know, what's out there. Um, sci-fi in general is interesting. And then I found myself, like, as this whole billionaire race to, to the outer space got underway i just kind of like found myself being less interested in, in overall in space travel and just like and it just suddenly it feels like this is not really that interesting <laughs> anymore this is this is just the stuff of billionaires um it's kind of like basically it's the way that's uh, boating or sail uh, or like race car driving is interesting like from afar but only billionaires can do it or fund it so it's like – it's just completely impractical, and um, I don't really know what it accomplishes in the end, sending uh, a couple of really wealthy white, uh, white guys up into space. So
1: well, I don't just, I mean, yeah, <laughs> unending wealth, and they just want to go to space. And so that's right, – Right, exactly. I mean, and then, and then you have – right, It's bucket list stuff. That's consider it. this. Our, our parents are, <laughs> are tuning into Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. Everyone's tuning into this broadcast. At this historic achievement, and yeah, there was an argument that could be made at the time about whether or not resources should be spent on that or not. But that's, mm-hmm. but the, the the fact remains that was a monumental achievement for the world and certainly the United States, and they all watched that and participated. Meanwhile, I'm up in the morning, watching a billionaire get four minutes, barely crossing outer space, and it is the biggest story going on. Yeah, like that's what we're cheering in the '60s. They, they. They went so much further and accomplished so much more. And we were yeah. just, like, excited. Like, a billionaire had three minutes of weightlessness. It's like, he went oh, into what space. Is, what yeah. are we doing? What are we doing?
0: You know, it's really – it's actually so much cooler was the guy – the um, that Red Bull guy that did the uh, the space flight where he jumped out and and um, he landed using a parachute. Now, that was pretty cool. He wasn't in space. He was in, like, the stratosphere yes, or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. But right. – that's way cooler than sending oh, yeah. these guys in. <laughs> you know,
1: yes. That's like evil evil stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's so much more interesting yeah.
0: to me than sending Bezos up in a uh, phallic-shaped no, spaceship.
1: This is, by the way, literally a quote. I, I gave you, this is not made up. A quote from Bezos afterwards at the press conference. Uh, quote, I want to thank every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer because you guys paid for all of this. <laughs> And You're welcome. <laughs> I, there was a great, there was a great meme that I saw. It was, a, it was an image of a, of a restroom with a huge, super long line, and mm. in the caption was something to the effect of like, as soon as Bezos hit space, like this was the Amazon employee restroom, which is this oh, enormous gosh. line of people trying to go up to the bathroom. Oh man, <laughs> oh. that's rough. It's dark. Yeah. Um, last question on this because I don't want to spend any more on Bezos than we have to. If you had that level of unending wealth. Now I know that you wouldn't be, you know, flying to space and space. Oh, I'm arms. living in space. You're I don't living, even need to wait you're for the one question. way ticket. One <laughs> way ticket.
0: No, I'm pulling a Peter Thiel and I'm creating my own, um, my own continent off of the, the first <laughs> in, thing international you're organizing is a, is a super pack. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, there was the, the there was a bunch of billionaires like Peter Thiel and a bunch of guys who wanted to create. This their own country in international waters that had no laws, literally yeah. no laws. Yeah, um, I don't know where that's gone, but <laughs> well, you know what's funny is they wanted to create too.
1: that, but uh, re- re- rest in peace to the great John McAfee. He yeah. he created that himself on on, on Belize, like he basically yeah, no kidding did that. <laughs> yes, he, he had his
0: his own little compound. He uh, sure did, quite the uh, utopia.
1: <laughs> but my, so my question to you is: one, I, I know. I know that you aren't someone who has any interest in living in extreme wealth. You would be um, giving away all of that or va- a vast majority of that wealth like and actually giving it away, not like Mark Zuckerberg.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, like, what about the, uh, the donation pledge the or whatever The giving pledge called.
1: garbage? That's complete nonsense. <laughs> just a marketing ploy <laughs> yes. I, I believe you would truly be investing it um certainly in your community in la and other obviously if you had an un- ending wealth it would go, it would go much be, you know further beyond la but my i want to know in what way you would spoil yourself what's the one mm. thing that you would spend money on to treat yourself
0: yeah exactly so i don't think billionaires should, should exist like at all but if i were a billionaire Number one, number one thing I'm buying is a sports team. Like, there's just no doubt about. it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm buying the Dodgers. There's just uh, would you? I'm gonna have a chance
1: between the Dodgers and the Lakers to purchase. You're buying the Dodgers.
0: I am buying the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: Dodgers over Cowboys.
0: I. It's gonna be Dodgers number one, and like uh, maybe Kings number two would be my.
1: Wow, Sacramento. Amazing. Uh, Well, Uh. L.A. Kings. Okay, LA Dodgers Kings. number one, L.A. Kings. Okay, yeah, so that's your. I'm spears. buying both those teams. That's it.
0: Yeah, I'm just Could gonna own be them two,
1: three, four billion something. Or uh, quite a More? bit. It's, it's, seven. Quite eight. a bit of money.
0: Yeah. So the guy yeah. that who owns the uh, the Kings is named Philip Anschutz. He's um, he's like a big. Uh, he owns AEG mm. Entertainment, so they own oh. all the all the concert buildings. Uh, L, um, t- not oh, Ticketmaster. Yeah. The other. What's the other Live one? Nation? Uh, Live Nation, exactly. Not Live Nation. Um, so yeah, he's he's this huge. I think he made his money in
1: well, he makes money on his fees, but yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> that was the, that's what he makes his money on now. Is yeah, the fees. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that guy, he owns the Kings. He owns Staples Center. Um, he owns LA Live, which is the area around Staples Center. Um, and he's he has like no interest in hockey whatsoever. Um, he's just he's basically just a silent owner. So I would just buy. the Which Kings is the way they should guy. be, yes. for being honest. Yes, yeah. If
1: they know what's good for them, there mm-hmm. no owners are experts. What, what
0: about Mark Cuban?
1: Well, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is is truly the only He's one. He's the like, only one. You can he can weigh in, <laughs> okay.
0: Well, sh- doesn't Shaq own part of the Utah
1: Jazz? Uh, no, he owns part of the Ki- Kings. Sorry, the Sacramento, Sacramento Kings. Kings. Yes, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade owns part of the Utah Jazz. Yes, Those are yes. all j- <laughs> they give them point zero 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 one percent. As a publicity employee, yeah. it's so ridiculous. Um, yeah, absurd. Um, yeah, that's I love. I love your answer. That's that's the right. It's the only answer. thing. It's the only, that's, that's the only. That's the only right correct answer. answer. Yeah. yeah.
0: But still, so, even if I did own them, parking is going to cost forty bucks a game. Oh, I'll decrease it. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. You could get yeah. more. You
1: could squeeze people a little bit more than that. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: going to make the seats smaller. Uh, fewer remove, restrooms, remove
1: cup holders in the upper bowl. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Kings did that actually at Well Center, <laughs> Golden Golden One Center.
1: There's no cup holders in the really? upper deck, which is oh, yeah. uh, so silly to me. Uh, yeah. It's actually infuriating, but because uh, that's where my season ticket were, season tickets were. Um, yeah, dude. By the way, my my Kings ticket rep called me today to to let me know. Uh, did you take
0: the call or did you go straight to voicemail?
1: It went to straight to voicemail, mm-hmm. and I called him back on my lunch break. Because oh, I have my concept nice. where it just if I don't have a contact saved, it just doesn't ever ring, which is smart. The best. That's yeah. living. Um, and he was basically there's these ten game packages, and there's three different kinds. And this is you're gonna find this funny as a Laker fan. So the three different ten game packages are come in categories. Now, they haven't announced the schedule yet, so they can't say exactly who it could be in these three. But the first one is basically a weekend game package. So 10 mm-hmm. games across, just going to be on the weekend across the season. Uh, second package is big game package. So playoff teams. So at least five of the 10 games will be like playoff contenders, like bigger, marquee, with the exception of, and this is always the case in, in Sacramento, with the exception of Golden State games and L.A. Laker games, because those mm-hmm. are always the most expensive and they sell out. Uh, and then the third is the rivalry package, and that's the one where they just guarantee one of the Laker home games, and then the rest are just going to be complete garbage games. <laughs> of course, I said well, rivalry game. Yeah, give me the rivalry, rivalry, and and the and then the rest of the games just Minnesota Timberwolves and <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the. Uh- <sighs> I almost said the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what they are? They're going back. They're going back to the Charlotte.
1: Hornets. They are the Charlotte Hornets, aren't sorry, they? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was thinking of the Pelicans. Sorry. Oh, the Pelicans. Dude, yeah, I do make that. Yeah, Sometimes I yeah. say New Orleans Bobcats. Sometimes yes, I say yeah. I really yeah. do mess it up. Yeah.
0: I almost said Vancouver Grizzlies. Ooh, which is that weird. was nice.
1: Yeah. Vancouver.
0: That was a nice two-year <laughs> two-year experiment. Experiment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, yeah. So
0: you're actually going to buy the tickets or Are you going to
1: Dude, no, because you break down the cost and you have to ask yourself, why would I pay? It's not a deal. Mm-hmm. And the Kings aren't exactly playoff bound. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's going to be difficult to. Like Kings games do sell out. They do have like even when they're bad, like. It's the only show in town, right? There's sure, no other. Pro- exactly. So, like, the nice arena building, will nice be building, filled out even yeah. for crappy games. Yeah. But it's not like it sells out way in advance every single game. Like, you can get tickets. Sure. Uh, and so I'm looking at it. I'm like, the breakdowns, like, oh, okay. So like, the top of the lower bowl, the very top of the lower bowl is going to be like 140 bucks a seat. I'm thinking. Like uh, nah, that's gonna be sixty dollars seat. Like a week before the game, why on earth would I buy a ten game? It's really bizarre. The economics of this, like I don't know who is crunching the numbers, but I'm just like, this is a really bad idea. Well, I the think pair. they're just
0: these teams are trying to undercut the third, um, the secondary market, and so they're they're just trying anything they anything they can to squeeze an extra dollar out of uh, the fans that want to see live sports. So uh, I know with the with the Dodgers and the Kings um they can ban you as a season ticket holder if they find that you sold your tickets on the secondary market that is not the official one cuz there's official oh, there's official okay. market for um for reselling um it's with not both the how, how would they games,
1: catch so. you though it's like pretty i, I don't, I don't know. know
0: i think th- i think there's a way that they either track um i don't know track okay. the, well, the it's, they're it's tracking the actual easy. seats being sold yeah I, yeah i don't know but i think it's actually just meant um to, to to dissuade like multiple season ticket holders so like there's you know there's brokers that buy like yeah. blocks of seats yeah. I think that's what they're actually referring they're to it's not to, yeah. the, nothing's gonna happen to anyone that just sells like a gamer here on yeah, Craigslist yeah. so gotcha.
1: wow well I, just the audacity to charge this much for the key. it's amazing right now is, it went up too by the way like that's the of thing course do, it is, does like, each, each year goes up every year goes adjusted up adjusted for inflation type of right. and it's like you guys know we're still very bad. Like, never once in the history of well, I don't know about sports, but certainly the Kings have they been like, oh, okay, we had we had some expectations, we did not meet them. <laughs> Things went south, so. We're sorry that the product was this poor. We're we're gonna discount the next season tickets by fifteen percent. Like we're, we're gonna actually move it to the real market value and go mm-hmm. down. That never happens. That's never no, the way it works. They can't it's do It's maddening to me. Like, but yeah, I'm also afraid that I'm gonna. I just when the Kings make the playoffs again, I need to get tickets. And well, it I mean,
0: at that point. You know, the, it's going to be the whole bandwagon effect, and it's not just the Sacramento thing. It's every, every
1: single, team, every yeah. city
0: in every, it, every team in every city. Once the team starts winning again, people show up. That's just yes. the way it goes. Yeah. So the only one, the only team, and I can say that say this with pride, um, where they set attendance records regardless of the team record, is the Dodgers. So every year they have the top, uh, one of the top um, attendance rates in in all the sport, uh, in all of Major League Baseball. So. Sure. Three million plus fans every year it's been that way for since basically uh 2005 or something so how much
1: how much yeah. is a, a ticket to a dodger game like what's an average
0: um i think well we have a partial season we have like a mini game oh. this year a you mini you
1: did a package like the 10
0: game yeah yeah, yeah yeah and i can't remember how much tickets are like i don't know 40 bucks a seat or something oh, okay. so it's manageable it's
1: not like super Soccer, expensive i mean baseball tickets are cheap but they should be cheaper because the stadiums well, I mean, a lot more and there's a lot more games yeah, but 40 bucks yeah a bad.
0: it's not terrible but we're talking about like you know 15 years ago it was like 12 bucks a game for bad seats mm. so yeah i mean it's gone up quite a bit um but yeah it's still good value i think
1: um you know yeah well two seasons we, ago the oakland A's had a deal where you paid 10 bucks a month and you got tickets to all the games and that's uh that's... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm i love that kidding it was like part I of love the season. That. It was
1: like, is this real? Like I, yeah, purchased that immediately. Uh. <laughs> How many games did you end up going to? Oh, you know, uh, three. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's you still got still your worth money's it. worth. It was like, exactly, yeah, it was amazing.
0: And uh, was that the one where you you could like? It was basically the Southwest uh, Airlines model where you just sit wherever you want. Well, when you, when you
1: show up. Yeah, so it was no, so so it guaranteed like an upper, like the, basically mm. the very top tier somewhere. So you you did have assigned seats, but it changed oh, okay. every game. Uh, got it, got it. And so, yeah, they were always like, and of, of course, I never once sat in those seats. Of course, no <laughs> why room. would you? No, no, yeah, there's absolutely not it's absurd. People who sit learned, in the seats, they're Yeah, oh, that's crazy. So,
0: I learned that very early on at a very early age. You just find a seat and you sit there, and you'll yeah. probably be fine. I mean yeah. I've gone to several 100 games in my life. Games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. If it's a if it's a sell then
1: obviously you're, then you're not going to yeah.
0: You're not going to. But if your team stinks and they have attendance
1: problems, you just move down. And no one's going to say anything. Dude, I <laughs> The worst version of this I will say is in in a movie theater when there's Have you ever had this cr- the soul-crushing feeling of you're on your way to <laughs> headed to your assigned seats and you see there's people in them. Oh, yeah. And you know you're about to have a confrontation of some kind, right? And you want to be cool because people are weird about it. People don't like being told what to do, and they're embarrassed because mm-hmm. if they're like, "Oh, it looks like you made a mistake, and you can't read letters and numbers, so you didn't know that this row and this number wasn't on your ticket,"
0: you know. And so, and, but people the get big so blinking def- lights on the seat—it's <laughs> yeah. like
1: it's—you cannot mistake it for anything else. <laughs> so they get people get defensive in a mm-hmm. way, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I, it's the weirdest phenomenon. And when this has happened to me, I try to be as like gentle, like motherly about sure. it. It's like, Oh, oh I'm sorry. It looks like this might be where we're sitting. Are Do you guys have your, are, do you think you're in the wrong? You know? So this happened to me with the fast and furious F nine. Oh, nice. And yeah. it's like a middle-aged couple unmasked. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I approach them and they're definitely in my seats. And, uh, like oh uh, i do the thing where i double check like oh maybe i'm in the i'm the one in the wrong row you know i do that whole song and dance where it's like oh let me check did you myself take, first. did you take
0: your mask off first before I'm, you talk to them
1: no no mm-hmm. i double masked i put on oh a yeah one. but you know I, of course there's no doubt i have absolutely no doubt that I'm in never the correct is. row yeah. and then those yeah. are the, my correct seats but i play the whole like oh maybe i'm the problem but i'm mm-hmm. not and so i'm like hey i was like oh it looks like the, those are you know it was me i took you know it was me and my dad so i'm taking my dad you know, and he's watching. To him, the show has begun. You know, he's mm-hmm. just—he's got the popcorn. He's—he's watching me, and uh, and the, the 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 woman sitting there, she's like, "Oh well, yeah, I clicked on these seats when I purchased it on this touchscreen, but then they didn't have these numbers when it printed." So I mean, like, <laughs> and she remains seated. By the way, she, there's sure, no right. movement to change. You know, and I said, oh, "Okay, so you thought you picked these, but then you realized they weren't them." We saw the numbers, but now you're still sitting in them, even though you know you just told me your ticket doesn't have, you know what I mean? So I'm not saying any of those things, but just like, oh yeah, dang, that sucks, but that's definitely your problem and not mine because I bought these tickets several weeks ago because it's fast and furious, and please opening get out of my day seats. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they weren't gonna budge though it was uh, but I had to stand there awkwardly, and I was like, yeah, so these are our seats. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry you can't work a touch screen. (laughs) That's like, I'm sorry. I know
0: that you wanted these seats. And
1: in your mind, these are the seats that you think that you belong in. You believe that you had it, but you already acknowledged that in the end, you didn't purchase these (laughs) seats. (laughs) Like, you know what?
0: We all want things that we cannot have in life. Yeah, and let this was, be a lesson to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. Finally, the Boomer generation experienced what it was like to be promised something. Uh, and the Millennial comes up on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you even the playing field. All you had to do was introduce uh, online ticketing.
1: <laughs> she was miffed. I wasn't even rude. Oh, yeah. I was very nice. She was. She got up, and she. I could tell just the tone. You know, the of breathing. Course, it was like, like how dare you? I'm like, just sit in the seats that are on the thing. You know I that is a huge pet peeve of mine, if it's I'm being tough. honest. It's, it's tough. Yeah. It's very annoying. <sighs> Incredibly. Anyway. Shall we talk about our cinema classics now? Are we ready to get into this? We're yes, twenty is It's time episode. to follow up.
0: Yeah. I know so the, I know I'm sure everyone realizes that we <laughs> that we had this little challenge for each other. Should we just go watch give yeah. People yeah a refresher here? It. What happened? Yeah,
1: please. So our last episode, or two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. We two. did, yeah, two ago, we did an episode on which cinema classics we're most ashamed to admit we've never seen. So Aaron and I both presented lists of classic movies that we just, for one reason or another, we haven't gotten around to seeing. So, like on my list, I had films like Casablanca on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the podcast, we, we each picked a movie from our respective list. So I picked one off of Aaron's list for him to watch, and he picked one off of my list. So for Aaron, his homework was to watch Singing in the Rain. Gene Kelly classic.
0: Tough. Tough watch.
1: It's tough because Aaron doesn't like musicals, so that is tough. Not a um, fan
0: of musicals, singing nor dancing.
1: If, if, yeah, if you could have picked, which one would you have wanted me to pick for you on that list?
0: Um, jeez, Probably Avatar, I think.
1: Oh my gosh. I would have, I'm a better friend than that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to make it watch Avatar. Um, yeah i can't believe avatar was like in the mix for best picture <laughs> over in Glorious bastards it's a thing that i'm still reckoning with but anyway uh so you were a champ you watched singing in the rain right away it took me a little while to get around in mind but you picked from my list uh the graduate right so let's talk about our experiences watching these two movies now i know you don't like musicals I, I, going in you know this wasn't going to be a movie that you're going to fall head over heels in, but did you see was there any part of it that that you understood why it's considered the classic it is
0: i mean yeah if i could get into the mind frame of like someone it's someone that's watching a movie in 1952 when the movie came out i guess it does make sense of you know why the movie was so popular why it's considered a classic um i realized after watching it i've seen i've actually seen probably half of the movie before and i didn't realize like because all this stuff was like um just like, oh, yeah, I remember the scene. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. And um, and that's through, like, just various times through my life, either trying to watch it or, like, being exposed to it in different ways. Um, so a lot of it was, like, rehashing of stuff that I've already seen before. Uh, but, yeah, the movie, it, it actually did surprise me because I didn't realize how, um, how much of it, like, it's a comedy. It's like a straight comedy, basically. It's very much, a, like, a farce or, um, like... Satire, or you know, it's just like a comedic movie in general, like a romantic comedy. Um, and I didn't realize that I, I don't know what I thought it would be, but yeah, it's very much a musical, very traditionally a musical. There's big dance numbers, big singing and dance numbers. Um, the music is good, you know, it's like, what am I who am I to judge whether musical is good or not? But as far as I was concerned, it was entertaining, and um, and I can see why it's appealing to people. Uh, but it's not a movie I'll ever watch again. Uh, It's great performances, you know, um, very much in old school 1950s movies and their performances and the dialogue and uh, the themes that they use. Um, Yeah. And the fact that there's just uh, like there's so many tropes that are used in this movie that it's just like it's kind of like hard to watch it now in 2021 and not be influenced by all the stuff that we've seen from the time that it was released until now um, and be like fulfilled by watching it i guess for me seeing it as a a first time experience um just because it's like it feels like it's rehashed a lot of this stuff Uh, but yeah they did a great job it's um it's a very good classical musical movie hollywood classic type of musical um but yeah i i wouldn't say it was my favorite movie and it wasn't my least favorite movie so all in all a good
1: experience good well, I, yeah. I, I certainly wasn't yeah. expecting it to be either your favorite or least favorite movie, so I'm glad it landed somewhere it in did. the lower half. <laughs> yeah, I would
0: say definitely in the lower half of the spectrum of, of decent movie-watching experiences. Not bad, and I'm glad that it wasn't too long. So,
1: Yeah, I've only ever seen it all the way through once uh, in my video production class. And then I think, I, I take that, we may have watched it a second time in my genres of film class in college. Uh, great Genre is a film professor. Tracy Megan is sometimes listening to this podcast uh, on Facebook Live. Tracy, wonderful, wonderful job. Uh, great professor. Anyway, he uh, he's the one who introduced me to uh, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, the documentary uh, about Donkey Kong. One of the greats. No, that's,
0: that's a great movie.
1: Oh, truly. That should be a uh,
0: classic. Considered it, a classic. Oh, yeah, I think. Singing I mean, in the Rain. It,
1: it should be. It should be spoken of in the same breath as Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, and King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Put uh, that
0: on the AFI top
1: 100 Steve list. Steve Wiebe is up there with <laughs> Mrs. Robinson and other iconic characters. Billy uh, Mitchell is one Billy of the Mitchell all-time is, great villains. He is truly, actually, mm-hmm. like he actually is. Gosh, I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I would love to hang out with that guy and just. just. <laughs> well,
0: if you buy one of his hot sauces, you can. I think. I bet you could get a cameo from Billy Mitchell.
1: Well, the, <laughs> um, dude, what? How is he not on cameo? Gosh, he should I'm, be.
0: I bet he's on there.
1: Well, the last time I saw him was on footage on the news on the 6th of January. I saw he had made a trip to Washington, D.C., and he was in the Capitol Rotunda. It's like, Billy! <laughs> Came up from Florida to visit the nation's cap, be a part of history. Um, just like all the great villains were that day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. no, they, they the,
0: the villains exited out the back while the Patriots <laughs> oh. entered in the front. Uh,
1: the villains were in these secure rooms, you mean? Um, oh, yeah. So uh okay, so for my list, you picked the graduate. Before I go into my thoughts, I wanna know a little bit more about why you picked it. Do you love the graduate? Did you pick it because it's your favorite from that list? Like what are your thoughts and feelings coming in on The Graduate?
0: Uh so The Graduate I think I've seen it a number of times and, and it's actually a really great movie. It's a phenomenal film and I think it deserves every all the acclaim that it has and And um, I think it's probably Dustin Hoffman's best performance. It's one of his best performances. And I think uh, it's really like a definitive movie of that generation. I think it's there's certain movies that come out in certain timeframes or decades where you can say, like, this is part of the ethos. This is part of, like, what this generation um, is about. And I think that one really nails it. I think The the Graduate has, like... um, it poses all these questions and it, like it, it kind of is, is a challenge to that. Um, I guess they were baby, baby boomers at the time. Um, like what's coming next for them basically. And that's like, all of that is wrapped up in the movie, The Graduate. It's just like you had a generation that had all these questions and no answers. And they kind of felt like uh, almost listless or they didn't have a direction. And that's Dustin Hoffman's character in The Graduate. Um, he just doesn't know what he wants next out of his life, and uh, and so I, I think that I that that part of it really resonated with me the, the one the first time that I saw it and and it stuck with me, and I come back to the graduate pretty frequently. I've seen it you know a number of times, and I just thought overall it's a great movie. So uh, when I heard that you hadn't seen it, I was like, yeah, I think that one is oh, yeah. definitely one you you'll enjoy and you should watch it because it's a classic. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: a great great pick. This is certainly one. And I I figured I would have eventually. I'm glad Mm -hmm. it finally happened. Um, It is a unique, you you touched on a couple of things there, which is interesting and you can really feel it watching it. It's like palpable that it's, it captures something that's very unique and specific to a generation of people, Uh, a generation of people that I'm not a part of. However, within that, there are these very universal themes that transcend just that generation. And the entire opening sequence is one of those scenes. Like mm-hmm. I was hit the the opening sequence like knocked my socks off. Not just the like I knew I knew this was different when it st- opens up to "Sound of Silence" by Simon and Garfunkel. Little mm-hmm. did I know this was a Simon and Garfunkel movie. Yes, uh, there are four or five major Simon and Garfunkel needle mm-hmm. drops, mm-hmm. and they're featured prominently in the opening credits too. And I'm like, huh? It, I didn't realize uh, how much a part of this film that their music played. Like, I mean, obviously. That's a big thing that everyone knows that's seen it, but I had no idea. Sure. Uh, and so it opens up with Dustin Hoffman on this people mover at an airport, just flew home from, I guess, East Coast College or something. And mm-hmm. now it's the next step of life. Um, I certainly know what that's like. I mean, the, the, there's a universality there for any phase. Like for me, it wasn't after college. Um I didn't have that. I didn't experience that period. Then it was after I I went on a two year mission after high school, and then I came home. Then it was like the like what's next in life, mm-hmm. and so uh, the sequence of him. Well, first it's that long shot of him on the people mover, which I could Brilliant. I could tell technically this film was unique. I was like you know because it came out in sixty seven or something, mm-hmm. and it was like okay this movie's doing some interesting things from the camera work and technical perspective. Um, that's I will say. <laughs> That is something I absolutely did not see coming throughout this film was that, like, there is some freaking Orson Welles stuff (laughs) being pulled, you know, um, no disrespect to the actual cinematographer in Citizen Kane, of whom I'm forgetting the name, but, like, the camera, the way the camera moves in this movie, the way some of these scenes are set up and shot, it was like, I was like, okay, this is... This is built different. Like, this is Mm -hmm. a different movie. And I'm not used to that much technical expertise and thought put into a story like this. And that's not to put down the story, which I'll get to in a second, um, which is really a story about a lot of people just making really bad decisions. Just a lot of bad choices. So many bad choices by so many people. Um, But, like, this was a masterwork of cinematography and camera movement and... That's owed to certainly Mike Nichols and whoever the cinematographer is. And like, this is oh such a well-made movie. It's so well edited. Uh, there is m- multiple shots that I still am thinking about, about how they were framed, how the camera moved, the, f- the way that uh, they racked focus, the emphasis of – like, when things come – there's this really big scene where the daughter starts to realize this – you know, pivotal. Um, I guess I, I don't have to like. I'm trying Spoiler to like, spoilers, <laughs> which is hilarious for the graduate, 1967, when she realizes that the guy that she's dating—I don't know, boyfriend—is the right word, but I guess had uh, slept with her mother. You know, mm-hmm. like it does that rack focus from the mother's in focus, this distraught look to her as it's coming into fo- things are coming into focus for her. Uh, it and it's done slowly and deliberately in a way that's like really interesting. Uh, feels on the nose as, a way, as I'm describing it, but like this is incre- like really incredible camera work. Yeah. I mean, I was blown away. Uh, Isn't it amazing
0: it's, how like that, that came out in 1967. It's amazing. And, and it's still applicable today because people are still doing that. Like they're, Oh yeah. that That's still a tough shot to pull off now with oh, yeah. all, <laughs> with all the expertise in, in, uh, and, and toys that we have at our disposal and everyone is like still searching for that type of visual feel yes. um, that, that was captured in a movie like the graduate. So
1: it, it feels uniquely um, it, it's just on a technical expertise. That's so unique, especially for that time. And so that, that would, to me was like very, very clear. Um, I, for me personally, the, the story does not come anywhere near the level of quality and craftsmanship of the technical stuff behind the, camera as well as the editing and the the music is also perfect not just Mm because it's Simon Garfunkel but the way it's used and when it's used very just just perfect 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 um the performances are great love seeing the mayor from Jaws uh (laughs) we got panic on the 4th of July um (laughs) as the father of Mr. Robinson Mr. Robinson yep um but, uh, yeah, So anyway, that, that really – it really stuck with me the way – even like there's some car scenes, the way that it focuses on certain characters mm-hmm. and the way it frames, like, in angles that I'm not even that used to seeing today, let alone back then. So, again, I, I keep hitting on that, but it really left a mark on me. It was like, okay, you can feel why this is – at least from that perspective, why this is a classic. Now, it's a story that's resonated with multiple generations of people, um, and <sighs> – are we supposed to like Dustin Hoffman's character? I don't. I, I don't think that he's—he's he's a the miserable easily yeah. little guy. And I really didn't like him. And 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 not that you have to have someone to like in these movies. Maybe that's the whole point. I think Elaine, the poor girl, is the most mm-hmm. sympathetic character, certainly. Of course, but yeah. everyone else is is really miserable. Um, a real pos. Really bad people. Yeah, yeah. But he makes <laughs> decisions. He makes so many bad decisions. Uh and when he takes her out on the elaine out on a date and he tries to sabotage and the way he sabotages it is like really heartbreaking and just cruel Mm -hmm. and you don't understand why. like there's just it i mean i can enjoy again i don't have to have protagonists that i'm meant to love in order to enjoy a movie you know i can enjoy a movie that's full of bad people sure but there was a part yeah you you like star wars (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 yeah han solo yeah he would have gotten me dude uh he's a sure. bad dude yeah he's not a real good bad not dude. good Deplorable. Um, but uh i like the second half of the film i don't want to say there were pacing issues but like a lot happens in a way that's like maybe this is realistic for that time in terms of way these decisions are uh, are being made in terms of marrying people and stuff mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if that was culturally more normal but it just seemed like there were a lot of rash decisions that were being made <laughs> and they're made, made, being made very quickly but i loved 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 the last shot because of course yeah that's and it's icon it must be iconic i'm assuming it is, it's iconic it is, yeah. because i'm watching it and it's like okay we're used to the story about you know uh you you fall in love with girl, you screw up a break girl's heart, she goes off to go marry a different guy and you come running in in the middle of the wedding ceremony to stop it and to you know, express your undying love and she forgives you and then it's a happily ever after. Well, this is a turn on that, right? Which is mm-hmm. why I was I was so pleased to see that. Even though I don't want I certainly don't want any type of happiness for him and he's not going to get any. Um, mm-hmm. but they make this decision that is clearly in both of their worst interests and they make it because they're young and stupid and uh because everyone's been making bad decisions and in that rush of adrenaline they get on that bus and they're smiling and there's that shot of all the old people looking at them with this judgment you know and they're all you know 20 plus years older than they are Mm -hmm. and you can tell this look on their face that people are like what stupid thing did you just do you know, mm-hmm. this look of judgment and it, I love how long the shot is on uh, their reaction mm-hmm. shot as they both kind of go back and forth between kind of smiley giggly like, wow, what a thrill. We just showed it to them to being still as it's setting in what just happened and the reality of what their lives can and can't be mm-hmm. beyond this point because they still have a mess at home with parents. <laughs> oh, boy. There's some cleaning up to do. Oh, yeah. And so it isn't this happy, you know, right off in the sunset happily ever after. It's like oh, uh, we just made a terrible choice and we're realizing it in the moment. And how many movies have that as the final shot as the bus tur- is pulling away and you see it as they're realizing the the ramifications of their poor choices? It's it's really remarkable. Like, really? that is incredible. Yeah. Like, love, 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 love. Uh, yeah, that's that so movie. awesome. And,
0: and uh, very famously, that scene was basically improvised. Um, mm. So there um all the actors thought like you know they're just gonna cut like immediately after the final shot of dustin hoffman they're just gonna cut right and michael nichols said nope we're just gonna keep it rolling and he told i guess he told his cameraman he's like just keep it rolling um just keep going keep going keep going until i tell you to stop and so and it feels like when you watch that scene it's like okay now what what's happening now what's happening next because it's just like this. Anticipation it hangs. and it's like it, it totally hangs, and it just feels super uncomfortable because now you're in that moment, and now you're in his head, mm-hmm. and it all makes sense. It's like, oh wow, and it's uh, setting in for the now audience what? at the totally. same pace
1: that it's setting in for yeah. them about what yeah. just happened.
0: Yeah, and that was not in the script. That was not in the shooting uh, sides. That was just like just. Mike Nichols said, "Let's just do that. We're gonna do this. This is my idea. Um, we're just gonna, and we're not gonna tell." We're not going to tell the actor. We're not going to tell Dustin to do anything different. We're just going to keep hanging, and um, we're going to capture that. And that's – he nailed it. It's so amazing. So, yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant stuff.
1: Yeah. So, for me, the the main takeaway, I would say, is while I can't relate with really any of the people in this movie, (laughs) thank goodness, (laughs) um, other than that opening sequence, which, yeah, I will say, just that, that opening scene of the party and the, like, that felt real. Mm -hmm. plastics like you know when i came home from my my two-year mission Mm -hmm. they have these like homecoming parties where it's like all the family and friends will actually throw like this open house for you and and it's very much those questions it's like what's next what are you doing where are you going it's like i I don't know i for two years i was doing the same thing and now i don't know i don't know where i'm going um and so it's because no one
0: no one told you to invest in plastics it's (laughs) the future
1: i love it plastics (laughs) plastics
0: it's the future. <laughs> They're all
1: trying to pull him aside. All the older guys are trying to like bring it, take him in under his, under his wing, and give him advice, or get him to go work for them. I love it. Um, but that whole opening sequence is that, and the ending are, are the two best things. But, but like, I just really dislike the characters and the choices mm-hmm. that are being made throughout. Which, in some ways, for me, makes it feel like it's not going to be as rewatchable because it's I cringe so much at the choices. But the camera work and the, really the artistry, the craft on display. That, that's the thing that would keep me coming back Or keep me watching mm-hmm. uh, I love the idea that someone like Mike Nichols Takes the source material And not that it's bad so Again, some people love this story and They think it's timeless I, I mean, f- I don't know if it's a timeless story for me I, I love the ending, the twist or whatever But I just love that he took that source material The novel that I guess is largely this, that same story And he just directed the heck out of it He was just kind of like Look, I'm going to take this story It's fairly straightforward It's unique but I'm, I'm going to treat it like Orson Welles treated Citizen Kane in a way. Like, I'm just going to, like, really, on my on my way here, on my way to finishing this film, I, I'm just going to see if I can uh, do some things that have never been done before, technically. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that so much. It doesn't have to be an action film. It doesn't have to be some big block. But it doesn't have to be any of those things for a director to really go for it. And boy, does Mike Nichols go for it here in so many ways. It really, it's yeah so yeah i think that's a sign of a true genius
0: director it's like it's one thing to bring the written word to life which is what you're charged with as a director and that you know you can do that but when you add in the artistry when you add in um the visual touches the basically your trademarks the the things that inspire you or you think will take the story to the next level um that's where the where the artist is really displayed like that's the artistry, um, and and it's on full display in this uh, in this performance. Not just from the actors, but from Mike Nichols himself. Like he's he is performing. Um, he's a maestro, and you can see that like this is his orchestra, and that's the sign of a true great director. I've I've always thought. it, and uh, because at the end of the day, the director is like he's basically the patriarch. He's like he's on top of everything. He's not the cameraman. He's not the writer typically. Um, he's not the actor, but he's he's basically just saying how these things fit together, and he's charged with making it bigger than life, um, yeah. bringing these these uh, black and white words on a page to life, and that is on full display in *The Graduate*. Like like you said, it's a very straightforward story for the most part, but. When you have these great performances, when you have the music, when you have—and that's part of the being a director as well—it's not, you know, maybe it wasn't his idea. I don't know if it was to to use just Simon Garfunkel, Simon and Garfunkel primarily. Um, but that adds to the movie. That adds to his final symphony. Like that, the music comes in and it it lays a foundation for this um, this really basic story. But it's again, all these pieces come together. And it's like it's just so much more—the um, whole being more than the pieces. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great film. I recommend it for anyone. Um, you know, it's it's just very universal, like you said. Um, the themes are universal. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of bad people involved making bad
1: decisions. So many but, bad choices. Unbelievable number of bad choices. But
0: it's 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 very interesting. It's fascinating. So yeah,
1: and you know, look, there's iconic imagery. Obviously, the cover is a. Iconic image that I've seen all throughout my life, um, and it's fascinating because, like, it's it's an interesting framing of the shot um, mm-hmm. with you know the pulling the nylons or whatever uh, the leg shot. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize was that the movie the movie is full of interesting shots and angles, not just like that, but like it's really littered with I- what I feel like are iconic iconic shots. Uh, but this is the one I have on the screen here. Of course, that's that's really lasted, um, really it's really one of the great cinema images right i mean that's i'd never seen the graduate i knew this was the graduate right Mm -hmm. like that's it's that Mm -hmm. that is what it's associated with and you don't have to have seen it to know that um there were also lines i noticed and this is the thing with these masterworks and these classics is that like there are all these different quotes and lines that i'm like oh that line was from the graduate or the sound bites that i hear in different context contexts Mm -hmm. but then i hear it in the movie there's a lot of those and i was like oh wow i just never knew that that was from the graduate you know it's just kind of interesting um but yeah it was a great pick i'm glad you got me to watch it i don't I, i I eventually would have i I don't know it would have been been probably quite a bit longer sure Um, but uh, well now
0: yeah now it's time to explore the further um the further recesses of dustin hoffman's career um i am personally well we've i've already been there i've watched a number of times i'm personally not a huge dustin hoffman fan but i think there's certain works that he's been involved with in that are just like, they're truly classics. Like, Um uh, midnight cowboy is the one that comes <laughs> oh, to mind immediately. Yeah. yeah. That is, I mean, midnight cowboy is, um, just a phenomenal movie. I just think, again, that's another 60s hit. 19, came out in 1969, uh, John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. It's a buddy picture at the end of the day. And, um, it's just really, really, really good movie. Um, uh, so yeah, I can't, I think you should watch that one next. Mm. Um, again, if you're feeling in a Dustin Hoffman mood, then take it to the next level and watch the, uh, Midnight Cowboy okay. yeah. All
1: right. uh, I didn't come prepared for another. Actually, I did come prepared with another uh, recommendation for you Avatar. The Last Avatar. Airbender. <laughs> the, the Last Airbender, not the. James oh, The Superman. Last Airbender. Yeah. Yeah. The cartoon. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, well, yeah. Um, actually, I think that's an M. Night Shyamalan film. I believe it's. Oh, The M. Night? Actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So the I'm assuming film. you haven't seen it. Yeah, you should be ashamed that that you haven't seen that classic, so definitely check out that one. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, It it is worth noting Mike Nichols, we've sung his praises, he won the Best Director Oscar for this film. It got nominated for other awards, didn't win anything else, but he just won Oscar, and it was him for Best Mm -hmm. Director, which was rare, especially then for a Best Director Oscar to not also win Best Picture, but he he deserved every bit of that uh, Best Director Oscar. Uh, In the filmography of Mike, Mike Nichols, though, what is... Is anything else in your mind um, get close to the Graduate?
0: So for me, I mean, he's he's basically recognized for his work in the sixties and seventies. Like that was, um, those were. He st- I think he started in the sixties and then mm-hmm. um, his his work until the seventies. Like that's basically where he got all his praise. I'm not a huge fan of his works from the sixties and seventies, other than the Graduate. Yeah. I would say though, the movie regarding Henry is actually really underrated. Oh, that I is. Seen that one. Okay, so that's uh Harrison Ford. Oh, oh. Harrison Ford plays I, I may have seen pieces of this actually. Okay, so Harrison Ford plays a man who loses his memory. He wakes up with amnesia yeah. in a hospital bed, I think. And it's all about like how him trying to figure out who he is and um yeah, uh, it's Harrison Ford in that didn't know
1: that Mike Nichols yeah. directed that. Okay. Yeah, he directed that. So,
0: it's good it's a good movie. It's a pretty good movie. Um yeah. I love Harrison Ford,
1: so do you?
0: I, anything? Uh, anytime he's outside of the Star Wars universe, I'm a huge Harrison Ford okay. fan.
1: Yeah. yeah, Hollywood Homicide <laughs> with Josh Hartnett it was wonderful. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Fugitive, actually, is truly great. Fugitive,
0: Fugitive holds up, man. It really Fugitive does. Fugitive really does hold up. It really so. does. Ultimately, Tommy I'm Lee still, Jones. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones playing Tommy Lee Jones in that. Tommy, that's yeah. what
1: he does best. <laughs> when he plays Tommy Lee Jones and Two-Face from Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah okay uh what was it i th- i thought i had one more thing on the graduate i don't think so though uh we did want to talk though streaming shows which actually is funny enough the title of this uh facebook live feed so anyone that's actually been listening or watching hoping we well, you can stream these movies oh yeah you can stream these there you go yeah. um there uh you want to talk about uh a criminally underseen new show on hbo max what do you got Aaron? Yes,
0: sir this is a show that uh, was recommended to me by you several times. Um, it's a show called Hacks. Mm-hmm. And you, I will just say, you were 100% correct. Thank you. Hacks is phenomenal. Hacks is, it's really, really good. It's a really good show. Um, I, I don't like, I don't care for the title. Uh, I didn't like any of the commercials. didn't look that appealing to me, any of the trailers. But yeah, it's a, um, the premise is Gene Smart plays this uh, like legendary female comedian um, who has a residency in Vegas, and she's basically long in the tooth, and they're trying to get rid of her at, at her um, her t- hotel. The hotel manager is played by Christopher McDonald. Um, he's like he's the great. sleazeball type. Yeah. Uh, who Shooter McGavin? If you don't know Christopher yep. McDonald, he's awesome. He's, he's he's so good in this. Yeah. He's really really excellent in this show. But yeah, so is Gene Smart. Gene Smart is amazing in this. Dynamite, and, yeah. and so this is all about her resistance to change and her coming to grips with who she is as a comedian, whose act hasn't changed in like 20 years. Um, and so she's super wealthy. She's got a mansion in Vegas. Um, she has like a team around her. And this is all about how she's trying to deal with change, how she's trying to fight that. Um, losing a residency, but also how she's trying to stay relevant and evolve. Eventually, it becomes like how she's going to evolve her, her act. And the way that she's going to evolve, her her agent hooks her up with a young writer. Um, uh, the young writer's played by Hannah Einbender. I don't know. I don't recognize her from anything
1: else. The daughter of uh, Lorraine Newman from Saturday Live, the initial cast of Saturday Night Live. So okay. her a famous yeah, comedian. It-
0: Yes. Yeah, so she her, uh, she plays Ava in the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, her role is like this young millennial newcomer.
1: I believe well, actually, she I think corrects she's, Gen Z. Or, or,
0: she, yeah, she's supposed yeah. to be Gen Z, but she doesn't come off as Gen Z. She comes off as a millennial. That's right. Um, but Yeah, she's basically um, – she's at a crossroads in her career because apparently she said something on social media that got her supposed to cancel. Canceled for a tweet, and yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, her agent suggested her – if she wants to get back in the good graces she has to work with someone like um gene smart's character i can't remember what her name is in the show gene smart uh
1: um why am i i'm blanking as well deborah uh, deborah, vance. De- deborah vance deborah vance so yeah,
0: so yeah so yeah it's great it's awesome so her agent um they have the same agent they suggest suggest that she works with deborah vance she helps her write a new hour of comedy and the only way that she's going to do that is if she moves to Vegas from L.A. And so Ava is, of course, resistant to this, um, but she has no alternative. No one wants to hire her any longer because she got canceled on social media and and she lost all her friends. And um, so she says, all right, let's do it. She moves to Vegas, basically com- um, lives out of the hotel that uh, Deborah works out of um, or has a residency yet. And she's just constantly by her side and they go on adventures together. So it's like a yeah. fish out of water thing. Yeah. And, um,
1: it's just well, really fun. Like the, they, the, they, they show Vegas in all its yes. desert glory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the reason that the show works is it's just really, it's an interesting look at Vegas life and the life of this super wealthy person and how detached they are from reality. And, um, I just think it, it, it really um, examines some interesting themes, like aging in the indus- in um, in in the spotlight of you know any sort of entertainment industry. It's it's hard to age gracefully. I don't think like there's just a lot of tales of people that aged out and they're they just not relevant anymore, and, and their industry for whatever reason doesn't respect them or or think that they can do good work. And that's that's like one of the major battles battles that uh, Deborah Vance's character is fighting. So. Uh, it's pretty interesting overall, and I think more than anything, the show is just funny.
1: So it's funny. And it's thirty yeah, minutes. Very episodes. well written. Yeah. It's really easy to go through. Uh, you alluded to this earlier. It's not the, like the thumbnail image on HBO Max definitely um, did not uh, like catch my attention. It no. did not seem like a type of show that was for me or that I would enjoy. And um, I'm trying to remember who it was. Somebody said it was worth like. It actually might have been my mom. Um, that had mentioned in passing that, Oh, I kind of like that. And I had watched the first episode one night and I couldn't fall asleep. And after the first episode, I was like, Whoa, is this good? Or is it just late? What? I I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) And then I watched the second episode. i was like, no, this is good. And I started telling you and Skylar and our friends, and it was, you know, I know I sounded like a crazy person. It was like hacks like on eight. What is, but it's, Mm -hmm. it really is a excellently written and performed show. And, um, I mean it's cast very well. Yeah. But it's really entertaining. It's really funny and it's sweet. And it, it won
0: 3 Emmys.
1: Or it nominated.
0: Um no? wait, let's see. Got, exactly. The, yes, the nominations right, came right. out. Yeah, for Nominate So Gene
1: Smart who's yes. on a roll. She was just in yes. East Town on also on HBO as well as Watchman on HBO and now she's going to be in uh was it Damien Chazelle's movie he's making. Mm-hmm. She's having this real oh yeah. uh career she's renaissance on fire. as as she should cuz she is so good in hacks, she's so Excellent. good. Excellent, oh, she's so good. She really yeah. is. Um, yeah, that's Gene Smart is the reason why people should be watching this. Mm-hmm. She's she yeah, nails she's, the role. Like it's bit, so good. Yeah,
0: yeah. What's what's part, really fun, I think, uh, fun about the show is one of the one of the tasks she has Ava do is to go back go back through her um, all her old files. All she basically keeps notes of all her jokes, and she has videotapes of all her old performances. So, um, in doing that, we get exposed to her young, her older work. So you see her on like the tonight show Johnny. as a younger person. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, you get to see her like, um, perform in old commercials. And so that's pretty fun too. But, uh, and they use the whole de-aging technology. Well, it's actually, they don't use de-aging. They do, yeah. uh, what is that called? It's the um, Where they do the replacement head on the body.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Deep Fake. They do Deep Fake. They do Deep Faker in the yes. old
0: Johnny Carson and it, episode. Yes, thing. yeah. So it's not perfect, but. Actually,
1: it's looks not, pretty decent. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So, yeah. Um, overall, though, just a very funny show. Well written, great performances. And um, I think it's definitely worth
1: checking out. Agreed. Um, well, we. Um, are at the hour mark, so I'm trying to keep these under an hour as much as I can. Uh, I say that every time, and I almost always go over. Except I think the last episode we, we were good. Um, yeah, we were. Worth mentioning Ted Lasso. We've been we've been preaching the gospel of Ted Lasso on this podcast for quite some time. So season two Friday, I, I think the first two episodes drop on Apple TV Plus. Um, at least the first episode does. So really excited for that. Um, my tweet with the Alan Iverson Ted Lasso mashup. Uh, got re-upped by MB- former NBA player Rex Chapman. Perfect. Who stole it again, but still, um, I have over 1 million views on it. So, really getting that uh, social karma. <laughs> um, the next movies that will be coming out that we'll be talking about, uh, we got Jungle Cruise. I know you love movies that are based on Disneyland, rides. Love it. So, we'll be hitting up that for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. What else is coming out soon here that you are? The Matt
0: Damon. Uh... Oh, yeah. What's the name of the, What's the, name of the, the movie? Doing? Stillwater. Stillwater. Yes, exactly. Matt Damon Stillwater. The more I think about it, the more I've seen the trailer um, recently. And I'm just like, man, this could be really good. Yeah. Finally a movie
1: for Trump supporters that wasn't directed by Dinesh D'Souza. So at least there's that, right? It's
0: about time. Yes.
1: (laughs) Hollywood, yeah, ten for us and one for them. Finally they get something. Yeah.
0: That's the thing. You know, we don't have enough reactionary movies or reactionary movie characters in Hollywood.
1: Yeah. Matt, um, so. Matt Damon, by the way, just in the trailers, really plays a convincing Trump supporter. He truly he does. does. He really he does. does. He so, b- yeah.
0: absolutely does. Um,
1: absolutely. He feels like a dude that is from Oklahoma that works on an oil rig. I'm really mm-hmm. excited for that movie. I really yeah, like
0: I seriously am. I think that's going to be really good. So yeah. that's one I'm looking forward to in yeah. the short term.
1: Well, we'll be talking about that one here. I think it comes out next weekend. Also,
0: uh, uh, Nicolas Cage in the movie Pig.
1: Yes. Is that playing anywhere near you?
0: I think it is. I haven't looked at um, –
1: it's basically John Wick, except swap out uh, Keanu Reeves for Nicolas Cage and the dog mm-hmm. for a pig. So that's all you in need my in that. mind, that's two upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it is 97 or 98 percent in Rotten Tomatoes. Like it's it's like certified oh, fresh. people it's, love it. People love it. So yes. I will be seeing it. Um, but yeah, I think that's it then. We'll be back to talk pig and mm-hmm. Stillwater. <laughs> and Ted Lasso
0: And I'm going to go see The Roadrunner uh, Anthony Bourdain Oh that's playing here too so,
1: I was going to I was yeah. going to tell you that it, the, yeah, we do, Bourdain we should, is, yeah we do yeah, We should Yeah we should talk about it we should watch that We talk about it Alright Aaron Thanks for making Watch The Graduate That was a pleasure
0: Yeah we're going to I think we should do this More often bring Yeah a it was one of us. It was a season. good excuse to, I'm yeah. really
1: glad that That worked out so. Thank you for listening To the Brave Little Podcast Hold on to your butts